0: We are a few days before Tishabav. Of course, Tishabav is the saddest day in the Jewish calendar. The first event that happened was the spies. The spies returned with their slanderous report and the whole nation wailed the whole night. And God says, okay, you want to cry? You want to wail for nothing? I'll give you a very, very good reason to cry. And subsequently, this day, the ninth day of the month of Av, which this year, the year 2023, is going to be on Thursday, that is a day which is designated for crying, for suffering, for bewailing. All manner of misfortune has befallen our people on this day. It's a sad day. It's a tragic day. It's a day that we cry, we mourn, we bewail. We have the elegies, the tinos of... Uh, of the downfall, the destruction of Jerusalem, of Judea, of the temple, the first temple, the second temple, the fall of Betar. It's just a terrible day, and we hope, please God, when Messiah comes, that day will be turned into a day of celebration, but we're not quite there yet as of this recording. And to gain a deeper understanding on the mystery, on the secret, and maybe a bit of the recipe of how to undo this catastrophe and debacle. I invited my dear brother-in-law, the genius himself, the great Rabbi Smoly Botnik, and he prepared a masterpiece for us. And I have to say that we've been speaking about this, bantering about this for a couple of weeks now, and he tells me he's finally cracked the nut and my, my, my concern is, is that, you know, whenever we bring in Robbie Botnick, everyone knows we're, we're going deep. I feel like this might be too deep for even me to swim in it. So this is going to be an experiment. It may be a, a catastrophe, but I guess that's the order of the day. But let us introduce the great Robbie Botnick. Uh, we're actually in person and we're both uh, still in Ontario, in uh, northern, uh, no- north of uh, the United States and Canada. Rabbi Banik, it's so wonderful to have you here.
1: Thank you so much, Rabbi. It will be always a pleasure. Um, you mentioned that I cracked the nut. I don't think I cracked the nut. I think maybe I made a small dent in the nut. Um, I think as a group effort between myself, yourself, and all of our listeners, we might be able to crack the nut. Well, isn't, isn't that what life's about?
0: You start off your little nuts and you gotta crack it and hopefully turn it semi-productive. So let's, uh, let's begin. Let's talk about the, the upcoming days, the, the sad festival as it's known in the literature. It's a festival, but it's a sad one. Most festivals are happy. This is a sad one, at least until Messiah comes, the temple's rebuilt and all the devastation is undone. Let's talk about Tishabhav. Let's see what you have prepared.
1: All right, so you describe very eloquently that B'Av is famous for a couple of things. Uh its origins are the the uh, sin with the spies, right? The miraglim, when they came back with their uh negative report about the land of Israel. Um even more famously is the destruction of of the first temple and the destruction of the sem- second temple and all the various tragedies that flowed uh from that. However, there is what seems to be like a hidden little character acting uh, behind the curtain, uh, with uh, within the story of Tishabav that is very much not well known, not at all focused on. But from the text of the Gemara, it seems to be very central. That is Birchas HaTorah, Birchas HaTorah, the blessing of the Torah. Does that sound weird, a little jarring? Like, what in the world are you talking about? So we don't see at all
0: how this gets. There's a blessing of the Torah. Uh, that refers to the blessings that we say in the morning, just as is true with many mitzvahs. Before you do mitzvah, there's a blessing that's associated with that mitzvah. Before you shake the lula, before you eat the matzah, there's a blessing that is said before the performance of many mitzvahs. Similarly, there's a blessing that is said before the mitzvah of, of the study of Torah. And somehow, this blessing, you are telling me, Rabbi Botnik, you are telling me that this is associated with Tishimov.
1: Well, I am telling you that, but don't attribute it to me. You can attribute it to the Gemara in two places in the Talmud, one in Baba Metzia page 85b, the other in Tractate Nedarim 81a. So those two places in the Gemara says explicitly, let me just read to you, um, the the actual wording because this is going to be important. Omer, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda, Omer Rav. Okay, Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Rav. Uh, he he then quotes the verse in Yirmiya. Jeremiah. 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 Which I'm not going to read you the whole verse, but it, th- towards the end he says, "Alma of the haaretz." Right. This is a rhetorical question. Uh, for what? Why did the did the land get lost? Of the right means lost. Haaretz is the land. What was the reason for us losing the land? The Gemara then says that the Chachamim said these words of lo Pershu I think that means they did not explain it. Or so the Chachamim means the, the sages. We have a question
0: here posed by Jeremiah. Why did this devastation happen? Why did the land get destroyed in the first temple I assume it's referring it's, to?
1: Yeah, well, it's Jeremiah, right? So that's yes. got to be the
0: first. So, uh, and the sages were not able to explain it. The, the, this, this remained unanswerable to the sages
1: and then the Gemara continues that the prophets as well were unable to answer it they they didn't explain it and then the Gemara continues God himself explained it explained the reason why the land was lost it was destroyed as it says and this is the following verse in Jeremiah Okay, so this is Jeremiah 9, 12 it's because you abandoned the Torah my Torah which I placed before you And then the Gemara concludes, What does that mean? They abandoned the Torah? How so? How was that manifest? Because they did not make a blessing on the Torah at the beginning.
0: So so we we have two subsequent verses here in the book of Jeremiah. The Prophet Jeremiah is telling us uh, a question: why was the land destroyed? And the verse connotes, the verse hints The verse implies that the sages didn't know the answer and the prophets didn't know the answer. But then the following verse tells us that God, he reveals the answer to us. And that is because they abandoned the Torah, meaning that they did not give a blessing before they studied Torah.
1: Right. Which is which is incredible. I mean, think how consequent. It's it's just part of like the the morning routine. You just make a blessing on the Torah, and here we're seeing how consequential it is that apparently all of the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash came as a result of somehow failing to make a blessing on the we, Torah. We would
0: think this is more trivial. It's not as important. Yes, it's nice to make a blessing, but you know what? If you don't make the blessing, that's also okay. You know, if we were to just guess what what is the what are the sins that allowed for such destruction, you know, the, the, the Jewish people are in the land and they have the temple and they have the great prophets and the judges and, and the, the teens and David and Solomon builds a temple and the Almighty is dwelling in the temple, and things are great for hundreds of years. And then we have destruction. We have the Babylonians come and they destroy the temple and they send the Jewish people into exile, and the entire course of Jewish history is upended. This is massive. So we would think that, you know, I guess idolatry or something much more significant. The Talmud tells us that the reason why this catastrophe, this devastation, this calamity of epic proportions happened, it's because they failed. This what you're telling me, right? They they failed to make a blessing before they studied
1: Torah. That's right. They,
0: they, They studied Torah, Yes.
1: That's what it sounds like. They studied Torah. Well, as a matter of fact, they must have studied Torah because there's nothing wrong with not making a blessing if you're not studying Torah. So
0: we have proof they did study Torah. It's just that the requirement to make a blessing prior to the study of Torah, that was not done. And that that's the sin, the Talmud tells us based on the verse in Jeremiah, that is the sin that led to this catastrophe.
1: That's right. So it's it's all very you know very confusing. Uh, it's it's a very bewildering Gemara. But let's focus on a few specific questions. Uh, so I, I jotted down a couple. I'm sure you might have more, Rabbi Um What bothers me initially is the term the terminology of the verse Alma of the Haaretz. Upon what did the for what reason did we lose the land? And you know, if I were to voice the question, I would say, why was the temple destroyed? Right. Losing the land is so general. It doesn't even really describe what it is that's bothering us. We, we, we lost the temple. That's what we mourn, right? The, the losing the land. The, the, the focus is on the land, not on the temple. It's the on temple, the, land. the temple
0: where the relationship we have with God, where God's presence was, that's really the, that's the epicenter of the land. And that is what the mourning is all about. It's about the loss of it's God in our midst. I mean, the word
1: loss also bothers me. I mean, we didn't lose it, right? We're back there now. We still have the land. We don't have, you know, perhaps the sovereignty that we would want, um, but we still have the land. So why does it say we lost the land entirely? So why is there focused on the land, and what does it mean that we lost it? You know, that's, that's one question I would ask. Okay. Another question I ask is, why did nobody know the answer? Meaning, if it's true that not making a blessing on the Torah is so catastrophic and so consequential, so why didn't nobody know about it? I mean, the prophets, the prophets should have known about it, right? Yeah, because yeah, the, the the Gemara says that
0: uh, and no one knew the answer. Not the sages, not the prophets. I, obviously, it's something which is very, very hard for people to to figure out. Uh, but your question is why not? Like, why is this so mysterious? And so unknowable, even to the great seers, the great visionaries, the great prophets. All right.
1: Well, I'm saying either way, if it's not consequential, so why are we, why is the temple being destroyed as a result? If it is so consequential, so the prophets should be aware of it. That's, that's how I phrase the question. Okay. Okay. And a very nuanced question. If you look back at the text, it says, amru This thing, the Chachamim said, the sages said, this thing, uh, what, that's, it's, it's just it's weird wording. It should say, Allah of the Arts, why did the land get lost? And just skip it. Go straight to say, the rabbis didn't know. Why did it say, this thing the rabbis didn't know? You, you get what I'm saying? It's too actual. Yeah, if
0: you are. read the actual text of the Talmud, it does seem to have some unnecessary words. It, it quotes the verse, why was the land destroyed? And then it tells us that they didn't know the answer, but then it says, this matter was said by the sages and they were not able to interpret it. Uh, that that the, the Talmud, as is true with all Jewish literature, all the ancient classic literature, they don't just put in extra words. If if it says davar said this manner, the sage has said, and those words seem to be superfluous, there must be a reason. What's the reason?
1: That's right. Another question I want to ask is, what does it mean shalom barchu patorah tchila? The word tchila, Rabbi, will be the beginning, the start, right, Um the commencement. um Shalom, shalom, baruch Torah, I think would have been suffice to say, right? They didn't make a blessing on the Torah. What the word khila means well, in the beginning? The blessing is always said
0: prior to the to the means that the way the way it works is that you say the blessing first and then you study, right? That's right. You're not supposed to study before you say the blessing, right? So the 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 essence of the blessing, the definition of the blessing, is a blessing prior to Torah study. So uh, the Talmud you're telling me could have said they didn't bless when they study Torah. But it says, it's not what it says. It says, they didn't bless the Torah before,
1: i.e., before right. the study of Torah. Right, which is, again, that, extra that's words. Extra, it's an extra word. Okay. Uh, another question. Uh, okay, this question really, Rabbi Wolby, uh, He he kind of covered it already because you know, the question is, why are we saying that the, the destruction came as a result of a, a failure on Baruch Satoru. We know it came from the Miraglin, from the spies, right? That's another question I have on the list. Um, right? This Gemara doesn't seem to jive with, with what we know. It's a Gemara in Thinus that that um, the destruction came as a result of the sin of the spies. So just how do we even understand what the Gemara is saying on, on the most basic level? Or, or at least there has to be a connection between the sin of the spies. Oh, right. Okay, right. We will be kind of figured out the thread. Um, yes, that is definitely the direction where we're headed. We're going to try the to find... The sin of the
0: spies, Moshe appoints 12 men, very talented men, very righteous men, to go explore the land, go reconnoiter the land. They come back with a slanderous report. The nation lapses into uh, a feebleness, and then they cry, and they bewail, and they go, you cry for no reason, I'll give you a good reason to cry. Okay, that... Made sense. Uh, Had the spies not given their slanderous report, the nation would have entered under the leadership of Moshe. Moshe would have been Messiah. The temple would never have been destroyed. We know that. It's been well established. Somehow, this is manifesting itself, you know, 800 some odd years after the spies. It's manifesting itself with the destruction of the temple. And uh, the, 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 the sages and the prophets, they can't figure out what's the connection or what is the reason behind this. And God says it's because they did not recite the blessing before the mitzvah of Torah study. And some of that has to be connected to the root or at least the earliest uh, instance of uh, bad things happening on this day. And the question is, what's that connection? Yeah,
1: what in the world could be the connection there? All right. Um, just to go to the, the theme of Birch torah generally, Rabbi be. this is a, a pop quiz for you. Do you know where we learn out the idea of Birch torah? So the Gemara, I mean, how do we even know that you're supposed to make a blessing on the Torah? The Gemara Brachas tells us, it quotes a verse, and the quiz to Rabbi Willby is, what verse is that?
0: Uh, I don't know. It beats me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you, but <laughs> um, okay.
0: I'll, I'll just chime in then. Well, what's the question? Is what is the source of this idea? You have to bless before yeah, you what's study the, Torah. What is the, okay, source? What's the source? So, there's, so, there's source? There's a source. There's a source in Scripture, in the Torah, that says that before you study Torah, say a blessing. What's that source? So
1: that source is it's a verse that we're going to read in a couple of weeks from now. Uh, maybe a little more than a couple. It's in Parshas Haazinu. Right, so that's the second last parsha in the Torah. And the verse says, Kishem Hashem Ekra, as I call out Hashem's name, Havu Godel Leilo Kenu, give greatness to our God. As I call out Hashem's name, give greatness to our God. That's all the verse says. And this verse tells us that
0: when you call out to God, i.e., when you Study Torah?
1: <laughs> <laughs> when you call out, okay, so, I, you know, I'm not going to focus on that all that much today. It, it is a conversation we can have some other time, which is every time you study Torah, you are, in a sense, calling out God's name. This is okay. a, a famous Ramban at the beginning of the, in his introduction to the Torah, how uh, all of the Torah is, in a sense, God's name. But we're not going to focus on that so much. For whatever reason, calling out God's name is a reference to the study of Torah. Okay, and the verse says,
0: before you do that, give greatness to our God, right,
1: and so the Gemara learns from there that this is what it's saying: when you learn Torah, give greatness to God, i.e., make a blessing. Now, I, I have a very specific question, which is why would the verse transition from Hashem, right, which is which is the four-letter ineffable name, and that, that's the beginning of the verse, and the verse concludes, lelo Kenu to our God," which is is just a different reference, different a different appellation uh, for God. He's saying because there are many names of God in the Torah.
0: I think there are ten, right? Ten different names in the Torah used for God. The primary ones, or the ones that appear most often, are the four-letter name of God that we don't pronounce. We say instead other things. Uh, The Yud, K Vav, as it's known. You called it the ineffable name of God. We're not allowed to pronounce it. We're not allowed to enunciate it. And Elohim, which means God or powers, I think literally what it means. And those two names are the names of God that appear most frequently in the Torah. And in one sentence, we're talking about the same giver of the Torah. And it says, Tishem Hashem Ekra, when I call out the name of Hashem, meaning the ineffable name of God. That's the, that, that's the name of God that's referenced. Elokeinu, give greatness to our Elohim to our god it's the same god you translate it the same way but one is this name of god and and it transitions to the other name of god
1: right and just to elaborate on the question to appreciate the this seeming contradiction is that we know that each name uh, references a different attribute of god right ha- hashem right the yod the yod K, the four letter name is used uh, in in relation with god's midas HaRachimim, his more merciful uh, attitude, or more and more sexual Attribute, yeah. And then Elohim, or in this kind of Kanu, which means our God, our Elohim, is usually used in reference to the Midas Hadin, which is more exacting. It's, it's, it's exact judgment, right? Even the word Elohim, right? Would, it was used to refer to a, a, a court of law in, in, yes. in scripture. So, so the... I always tell people the word Elohim doesn't mean God.
0: because uh, there are many places in the Torah where it's, Right. Describing other people, like Mne Elohim in the end of Parshusperatius, or Ad Ha Elohim Yavodvarshneim.
1: Right, which means a court, right? Anything else to be judged. Exactly. Right,
0: which is again right. so most often the word elohim is a reference to God, but it doesn't literally mean that. It means powers or powerful one powerful entities. But
1: again, but always going to this idea that God is a a judge and he's strict and and so so there's seemingly obviously there's no conflict because God is one but the way we perceive it is it seems like two different attributes. One is merciful and one is uh, strict and and exacting. So what what you're pointing out is that
0: the study of Torah is somehow connecting to God Yotavavke ineffable name of God and somehow if I'm just reading the tea leaves here you're saying the blessing that precedes it is somehow associated with the other name of God, or not the other name, because God has many, many, many names, like the whole Torah is just names of God, but the other more commonly used name, name of God, Elohim, which you're telling me connotes judgment. Uh,
1: okay. I, God, okay. Yes, It's yeah, so you I up something very interesting here. Okay, yeah, let's proceed. He's, he's definitely onto something. Okay. So uh, th- these questions bothered me for a long time. Uh, and when Rabbi Wolbe mentioned that, I was talking to him for weeks about it. It was just the questions. Um, the, the cracking the nut part came uh, came about two days ago on Shabbos where I found a very cryptic paragraph in the Sefer Igr the Kala, which is uh, written by the B'nai Sashar, right, one of my favorite uh, sfarim, or one of my favorite authors. Um, that's uh, Rabbi Tzvi Ali Malach of Dinov. Uh, that's the author of these sfarim. So he writes very cryptically, and I'm not going to try to explain it, because I, I don't profess to understand it. But his point is like this. He's going on the verse in this past week's parsha in Devarim, where Moshe Rabbeinu uh, is chastising the Jewish people for their um, acceptance of the spies' report. And the term Moshe Rabbeinu uses is Uba Hazah in this matter, yeah, is it ringing bells, that term? <laughs> Uba hazah in this matter, in You did not believe in in God, in Hashem, Elokechem. Hashem, Hashem Again, reference to that, that name, Elokim. So again, he's putting those two together. So, Uba is that in this thing, you do not believe in God, in Hashem, your God. So, the, the Sazchar, or in the Sefer Igor the Kala, talks about this idea of something called Ayin. It's, it's the highest, I, I don't even know how to say it. It's like, it's like the nucleus of creation. And it's it's the first flash of creation where he says that Yisrael, the Jewish people were Allah b'machshava, where Hashem like conceived the the concept, the idea of the Jewish people. Okay, there's that initial flash of creation. And over there, in that moment, Hashem and Elohim are one. You know the verse that we recite at the end of Yom Kippur, Hashem hu ha'alokim? Right. That's this idea that really, even though we perceive, uh, a difference between these two attributes, it's really all one. It's completely enmeshed with each other, completely connected. And what you have to be able to do is you have to be able to reach that level. You, you know, as we failed to reach that level, we failed to reach that recognition where the Mida of Din, the attribute of, of, of judgment and the attribute of mercy, are are absolutely one. That's what we failed to do. And he says the word ba'davar, right? U in this matter. Ba'davar is the is the rashi tevos of Bimidas din, Bimidas rachemim. Okay. So what you failed to do is to connect Hashem with Elokim, midas din with midas rachemim.
0: Okay. So let me let me try to simplify this for myself. <laughs> <laughs> in Parshas Devarim, in the beginning of Deuteronomy, Moshe is chastising, rebuking, reprimanding, and castigating the nation. And he's highlighting the fact that they did not have faith in God, and they accepted the slanderous report of the spies. So, of course, spies cannot see the Tishba very easily. And what the Bnei Yisachar in his book, uh, uh, Igra Dekala, is saying is that Badover hazeh uh, chem ma'aminim so there's a lot of he's working a lot of ideas into those words of it's very cabalistic, right? Uh, the word ain, the word ayin, or ayin, yeah, you know, ayin, ayin, is ayin, How you pronounce it? It's it's like right? yesh me ayin,
1: yesh me ayin, something from nothing. Yes, so, the, like the word. It, you know, the creation of the world was yesh, was I mean, I'm glad you pointed that because the the creation of the world was yesh so. I me mean, cre- ayin. Yes. I mean, ayin is this level that kind of almost like precedes creation, and then yesh me means something from nothing. Yes, like something. That's where the expression something from nothing comes yes. from. Yes, etz nihilo. So what he's in effect
0: saying is that the first creation was not the yesh, it was the ayin. Right. That was like the first moment of creation. and the, Something out of nothing, but first nothing was created. That's right. And he calls that machshava,
1: right? That's makshava. The makshava between thought as, as opposed to action.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, um, and this is, this does ring, uh, or, or this does, uh, evoke some of the other ideas we've talked about in the past. Uh, like, uh, Rashi features this, but this is something we talked about that, the Almighty created the world, but initially was something in his thoughts, so to speak, whatever that means. And then in the implementation of that, Rashi in the beginning of the Torah tells us that the Almighty initially, initially wanted to create the world with judgment, but then he saw the world will not withstand. If the Almighty has withering judgment, even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob cannot withstand, the Talmud tells us. And therefore, that world would not have any continuity, would not endure. And therefore, the Almighty created the world in actuality, with mercy. But there was, at least at some point in the beginning, there was, uh, you call that iron, nothing. nothing. In the world, world, world of nothing, there was a world where the world was created, I guess, with some degree of judgment or a more pronounced version of judgment. Yes? Is that what you're saying?
1: Well, what he's saying is that in that world, there was absolute oneness. So judgment and mercy was one and the same. It wasn't this idea that, you know, at one moment we could have to relate to God, you know, with, through his attribute of mercy. Another moment is attribute, right? Like when Mashiach comes, right? This idea that when Mashiach comes, we're going to be able to look back and see how everything that happened that we, that we viewed as being tragic was really actually, uh, for our good. That, that's really, that's really a result of this idea that it's all one. That it's all one. And we were able to perceive that well, I guess in that pre-existing so, uh, are you
0: saying that when God initially wanted to create the world with judgment, is that the ayin where the judgment and the mercy were together?
1: So I'm a little bit confused about. This, okay. this is one of the areas that I'm confused because. Okay, the, I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Just to be more, just to be clear. In other words, the the Torah starts off with the word Barachas bara Elokim, right? Rashi tells us that's Midas Adin, right? Later. The, the Torah says, uh, I don't remember the exact term, Beyond Baros, Hashem Elohim, uh, yes. Eretz right? Yes. Something like that. Chapter one, it's only Elohim. It's only Elohim. So, according to the B'nai Saschar, uh, it should be really, even at the, that first stage, it should be Hashem Elohim, because he says it was all one. Okay, so
0: we, l- l- let's just say clearly, we don't know exactly what he's referring to, but he's telling us a few interesting things which may be pertinent to us. Uh, Badavar Hazah, which, as a callback, the 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 one of the questions we had in the Talmud was davar haze. There were some extra words when when I had the verse in, Isaiah, in 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 Jeremiah. Why was the land destroyed? And we said in this matter, it, it, it was pondered by the by the sages and by the prophets. Uh I, I don't want to steal your thunder, but that's what you're in effect saying. To but davar hazeh may be associated with this idea of. Of, of rachamim, of mercy, and of din being unified. And here it's connecting it to the sin of the spies. So I see a little bit of the contours of what you're trying to
1: tell us here. Excellent, excellent. So let's get to the sin of the spies because he doesn't really say what it's got. We know that, I mean, Moshe is talking about the sin of the spies when he says this verse. He, he's chastising Jewish people um, for their sin, and according to the Igrotakala, that sin was a failure to connect um the the Hashem with the yellow kim. So he doesn't he doesn't say how that works. Okay, I'm just gonna try to present my own theory. And that that is going to be based on a different Gemara, uh which is a really very concerning Gemara for folks like us who live in the States or vacation in Canada. Um because the, the Gemara in Ksubis on daf Kofiod, right? Page one ten, I think it's B, one ten B, tells us. The Olymidar Adam Yisrael a person should always strive to live in the land of Israel. Even if the majority of the city is is non-Jews, it's it's still preferable to a city in the diaspora. You know that, that that's majority Jews. It's still preferable to live in Israel. Why? Anyone who lives in Eretz Israel, it is as though he has a God. Right. This is the simple translation. Anyone who lives in the diaspora, it is as if he has no God. Okay? Uh, very disheartening,
0: <laughs> to be honest. The, the, the Talmud simply saying that if you live in the diaspora, to some extent, you cannot say that you have faith in God or you have a relationship with God. Because the Talmud says otherwise. Only if you live in the land of Israel, only then is it like you have a relationship with God. Whereas if you're in 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 the diaspora, there's no relationship with God. I remember the Ramban saying that every other place in the world has its own angel that uh, filters through the divine vitality to the inhabitants of that particular land. Whereas the land of Israel, the eyes of God uh, traverse the land from the beginning of the year to end of the year, meaning that in the land of Israel there is no. Uh, uh in, in between, go between, uh, of, of um, a layer, a filter of, of, some sort of angel that is, is, is processing, so to speak, the divine vitality, uh, through which, um, uh, through which it could filter down to humanity. Um, that's, I think, how the Ramban interprets it. Uh, but we have a very, very, very startling Talmud here that says, if you live in the land of Israel, then you have a God. Elohim, God.
1: Whereas if you live in the diaspora, you don't have a god, right? Right, and and obviously the Ramban, um, that, that's really the only way to really understand what it's saying. It's obviously not saying if you live in the diaspora you don't have a god. It means that that your connection with God is going to be somewhat uh, diluted or, or, you know, filtered through another uh, another another power, so to speak. But I did once hear, and I wish I knew uh, who said it. I, I wasn't able to find. It. I spent some time looking for it. But but I this is what I heard is that it, the Gemara is very specific when it says, Doma Kemisha Yoshlo Elo right? It's using specifically that name of, of like Elo of judgment, right? And I, I didn't study all of the Talmud, but it's not that common that the Talmud refers to God using that name. Usually, on the contrary, we refer to God as Rachmana, right? Rachmana, which means mercy. So it it seems a little strange, something of an anomaly that the Talmud refers to God in this context as Eloka, right? Again, coming off that name Elokim, which is the the name of judgment. So what I heard was as follows: that the Eretz Yisrael operates with uh, the the two names joined together, Hashem Elokim, and anyone who lives in Eretz Yisrael is able to associate with those with those two names working together. In the diaspora outside of Israel, you have the name Hashem, but the name Elohim is somehow, I don't know if it's non-existent, it, it's obstructed, it's it's less, um, relatable. The shame Elohim, the name of Elohim. So it's in, in that's what the Gemara means, if you live in Israel, yesh Elo Eloka is specifically that name Elohim.
0: So you're saying that the, that the land of Israel, it has more of an attribute of judgment versus elsewhere.
1: A judgment working together with mercy, right? Hashem,
0: yes. what I, I If I could just interject here, uh, there is, this is definitely going to be the hardest podcast to follow. <laughs> so I just give up, try to simplify anything here. But the Talmud says that there are three things that you acquire with Yeshurim, with suffering. And one of them is the land of Israel. Land of Israel has to. You have to go through some sort of crucible of suffering to be able to achieve it. Now, one of the other things is Torah, Torah, which I wonder if that connects because you know you're, you're, you know you're setting us up here for this idea that you have to start off Torah with some degree of uh uh You have to go through some sort of crucible of judgment before you could get to the mercy, but the Talmud does give some examples of you have to go through some suffering to achieve Torah in the land of Israel. I don't know if you have this later on in your notes. No,
1: I, I don't. And this but, is great. You're helping me uh, out
0: it, here. It made sense to me that if this is the framework and the structure of these ideas, uh, the Talmud the book of Baruchos, page 5a, tells us that these gifts, you want them, it's great. You do have to pay the price. It's going to be suffering. Now you're telling me that the suffering per, uh, or, or that these, the, the land of Israel, and we're going to see, I assume, also Torah, uh, they have uh, a requirement of going through some some degree of uh, uh, of judgment. Maybe that relates to it,
1: right? Right. And I was I was going to add also just that the the verse um, it's coming up. I think it's in next week's parsha, right? When when it talks about Hashem watching Israel's eyes are always on the land of Israel. It says. The eyes of Hashem, your God, again, it's using those two names together. So when we discuss Hashem's relationship with Israel, it's always going to be Hashem Elohim, as opposed to the Diaspora, where it's Hashem and less so Elohim. And, And that's what I want to suggest Going back to the Igra de Kala when he said that our sin with the, with the spies was that we failed to connect Hashem with Elohim. It, and now it makes sense because that's, we, we were unable to access Eretz Israel. We were unable to access the land of Israel because we failed to connect Hashem with Elohim. And you need that as a prerequisite to be able to enter Eretz Israel. Does that <laughs> make sense? Uh,
0: it, it does. I can, uh, it makes sense to the degree that I understand it. I, I will tell you. That I have this recollection of the Talmud saying that if someone does the study of Torah but does not engage in kindness, uses the same words. It's like they don't have a God. Really? So I wonder if that. I'll just put that aside as a sidebar here. That's the
1: fascinating. Talmud, the Book
0: of Otisar, page eighteen B, I believe, tells us that uh, Torah without kindness is akin to not having a god, which is, I think, the same words that the Talmud uses to describe someone who lives in the diaspora. So I wonder, that must be connected.
1: That's fascinating. Yeah, we'll have to work with that. This whole, uh, all these ideas, are they're all a bunch of loose ends. So, you know, I'm using Rabbi Wolby, I'm using all of our listeners to really uh, work together to figure this all out. Now, going back to, um, you mentioned, Rabbi Wolby, this idea that at the beginning of creation, God created the world with Elohim and then, and then it's hard to say. I mean, God's above times. So it's hard to use terminology like big before and after, but afterwards it says he, he saw that the world couldn't exist. And so he brought Hashem, the, the, the merciful four letter name and, and he connected it with Elohim. And through that, he created the world. What's really going on here is that the creation of the world is, is this process, is, is this process of bringing these two names together, right? That, that's the whole creation of the world works that way. And what's fascinating is if you look at the very first Rashi, I'm sure Rabbi Wobbe knows it by heart, he tells us that really the Torah could have begun begun much later, could have begun in Parshish Bo when we got our first mitzvah, uh, which is sanctifying the new moon. Why does the Torah begin with all of this? To tell us that Eretz Yisrael is ours. It takes us through this whole storyline to teach us that the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people.
0: So the whole amazing. book of Genesis and uh, 12 chapters or 11 chapters of Exodus the reason why we have that, that's really just the preamble to solidify our claim, our deed to the land of Israel. That's what Rashi says, the very Rashi first says, comment yeah, yeah. on the Torah.
1: Right, but it's right there where it, Rashi places that comment on the very first verse, where right where God is, is so to speak, taking the name of Elohim, and he's connecting it with the name of Hashem, and and through that creating a, a world that would be durable, right? Um, that's where Rashi tells us that the land of Israel is yours. So again, my point here is that you see that the land of Israel is is associated with the the idea of the the name of of Yud K. coming together with Elohim.
0: Can I throw out another idea I just thought of? The Talmud tells us that... I, mean, I hope this is not in your... If this is in your notes, I should have gone through your notes, of course. <laughs> All the... Whoever's still listening is like, why didn't you do this beforehand? Look through the <laughs> notes. You did send me the notes like 10 minutes before I recorded. <laughs> to your credit. But the Talmud says, the book of Menachos, page 29b, that God created two worlds, this world and the next world. This world with the letter Hey, next world with the letter Yud. I believe, maybe you told me this, the letter Yud connotes...
1: Nachzaba. Thought, yeah.
0: Doesn't it connote, isn't, doesn't yod connote, letter yod connote mercy, and letter hey, judgment?
1: Okay. It's not familiar to me, but it (laughs) could be.
0: But if if that is true, then we, um, I, 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 I'm I'm taking this in a little bit of a different direction than than what you're doing, but, uh, if this is true, there is a certain symmetry between those three things that I mentioned earlier in the Talmud. Three things that you have to undergo some degree of pain to, to get it. Torah. You start the blessing of the Torah, you gotta go through some pain, some judgment before you get to the sweet parts. Land of Israel. You have to go through some degree of judgment. The tribulations, the suffering, the afflictions before you get to the land of Israel. Oh my ba, The next world, there's only one path to go through that, and that's this world and all the Various sufferings that you must endure and judgment you must endure before you can arrive at the next world. So again, I'm, I'm like running my parallel thoughts here with, right. with you. Well, no, but
1: it's actually very important. So uh, there was a source I wanted to look up and, and I didn't do so before this year, but the, the idea of Birchazat Torah is very much connected with Olam Hazen, Olam Haba, even the, the Mishnah we recite. Um, right. So you say Birchazat Torah and then you learn Torah immediately afterwards, right? In order so that the, the Bracha should actually be related to a specific study of torah so the the custom and i don't even know where this came from is to recite the the verses of the the blessing of the priests followed by the the mishnah that discusses uh the mitzvot that that reap reward in olam haba right olam hazah and olam haba this world and the next world
0: interesting All right
1: interesting Karen Kams haba so birchah torah does have something to do with Olam Hazan, Olam Haba. So you're definitely onto something that these three things that you need to go through some sort of suffering are all coming together with Birchasa Torah. Um, it's, uh, right, the Torah, the land of Israel, and Olam Haba. All right. The, the, again, this is a work in progress because I didn't, I didn't go, I don't have all this written down yet. Okay. Um, we, are taught that the word racist, the, the, the Midrashim and the Gemara's, they tell us that, bara in the beginning God created, but the word Ratius, the Gemara says, alludes to various different things, one of them being the Torah itself. The Torah is called Ratius. Okay. Okay. Now, we are, there's a measure somewhere else, again, I, I didn't, I know it exists, I didn't look it up this time, that uh, all the letters came before God, and they wanted to be the first letter, to be they want it to be the first letter of the Torah, right? So the tough says, I want to be the first letter of the Torah. And God rejects it for whatever reason. Each, each letter gets rejected. Finally, the base comes before God and says, I want to be the first letter of the Torah. And God says, I'll take you because you, the word, the letter base starts, is the first letter of the word bracha, blessing. So God takes the, the letter base and puts it at the very beginning so of the, the Torah. The first
0: letter of the Torah, it, you would imagine maybe it would be an aleph because that's the first letter of the, Alphabet, but now it's letter uh, bet or base, which is the second. And the reason why it's chosen is because the word bracha, meaning blessing, that is uh, a word that begins with, with the letter bays, with the letter bet, and therefore that's why it's the first letter in the Torah.
1: Right. So, so what I want to suggest is if you put these two ideas together, so it comes out that the first letter of the Torah, bays, uh, alludes to this idea of bracha, and then the word rachis. Means Torah. So, so the very first step of creation is a bracha on the Torah. Oh, wow! Like, Torah. This is a
0: cla- This is what you waited uh, forty minutes to hear. <laughs> so, we have the first word of the Torah, Bereshis, which means in the beginning. And you're telling me that the that the the, the letter base, which is enlarged, the large base, the first letter of the Torah, that re- means blessing, and Rations means Torah. So, the first word of the Torah can also mean the blessing before Torah.
1: That's wow. right. Wow! And and the way I want to. Explain that is that uh, again. So bir Torah, right? So again, right? So birchas is this process of kishim Hashem ekra havogod leilokenu, right? You're, you're you're engaging in calling out God's name. You're kevavkei, but you have to associate that first um, with elokin with elokim. It's the coming together of Hashem and elokim, and that's really the process of creating the world. Right, God wanted to create the world with Elokim. He saw that that wouldn't last, so he brought the uh, he brought the name of Yod Yod on board. Right, so the coming together of Hashem Elohim is what created the world. It's what created a lasting, durable world, and that's also the process of Birchas Torah. Every time we engage in Birchas Torah, we're like you know recreating the world in, in a sense. That's what I'm, I want to suggest. This is all novel ideas. Does it make sense? So so okay, you're jumping ahead of
0: here for me. Birachus. Bara Elokim. That's all referring to the blessing on the Torah. Is that what you're saying?
1: I'm saying that. Well, well. Let's back up. You know, we know the Zohar says that uh God looked at the Torah and then created the world. Torah is the blueprint. The Torah is the blueprint of the world. Now, there's an idea that God, whatever this means, he observes the mitzvot. Meaning, meaning, if he, if God tells us to do something, he does it as well. So, if, we, if we're instructed to make a blessing on the Torah before studying Torah, you can assume to some degree God does that as well. So, if if God looked at the Torah as the first step of creation, you can assume that He made a blessing on the Torah before doing that, right? Meaning, the very first, the very first stage of creation is going to be a birchas Torah, which is I suggesting is alluded to in that base before the rachis, right? Bracha on rachis. God used the
0: Torah to create the world, so we know the Torah preceded the world. Obviously, I always said that God that that the first creation of God is the Torah, right? I guess so. I mean. It's a creation of God. It's it's his will. It's his his will. It's his wisdom, right? And if he tells us to say a blessing before we study Torah, before we engage with the Torah, well, you would imagine that he does the same. And therefore, there's like a blessing of God before the, or the very, very, very beginning, the absolute first step of creation is the blessing of Torah of God. And Before he engages with the Torah to create the world, and that's the the large letter base, so to speak, uh, which is the bracha that comes before the rachis.
1: That's right. That's right. Okay. So so have we answered all the questions? You want to get? Let's go through the questions and see. Uh, all right. So we started off that the the verse in Jeremiah says Alma of the hearts. Why was the land lost? And one of our questions was, why is it referring to losing land? It should say, why was the temple destroyed? Yes. So I want to suggest, no, no, no. You're you're missing the point. We're we're not talking about the temple being destroyed. We're talking about the original sin with the spies. We're trying to understand why did this happen? How did they mess up so badly that they lost the land? That they, they-,
0: they were they were slated to enter the land right away, right? They left they left Egypt and they got the Torah and they had the sign of revelation and they got the tablets, first tablets, second tablets, built the tabernacle. It's time to enter the land. Somehow they stayed there for forty years. What happened? Why did they lose the land? So the question of ma of the aretz, why did they lose the land? It's not about the, the, what happened 850 years later with the destruction of the temple. It's not about why did the sin of the spies happen? Is that how you're understanding it? Why did us, well, it's really, see, the sin of the spies... What flaw was manifest that led to the sin of the spies?
1: Well, the sin of the spies could have happened and, and we still could have passed the test because we didn't have to accept their word, right? If the Jewish people would have said... You guys are are liars. We're not listening to. You. We still would've It would just be the ten, the yeah, 10 Yeah, they, they would have gotten punished.
0: Okay, so yeah. it's not the spies, but is, why did the nation accept the testimony of the spies? Exactly. And therefore lead to the decree that they won't enter the land for 40 years.
1: Exactly. And and the answer to that question is Sheloh Barchu Torah Khila. They didn't make a blessing on the Torah. So it's very cryptic, it's very mystical. The ideas we're trying to use here is like this. Making a blessing on the Torah is bringing together the two names, which, which is an absolute must. In order to enter Israel, you need to have Hashem Shem working together with Elohim. It's gotta be one. And if you don't, you live in the you live you live as land of Israel, you don't have the name Elohim. Exactly.
0: And therefore you have some sort of degree of separation, whatever that means. And therefore you are found ineligible for settling the land.
1: Right. And and we know, we know from from the, the uh the de that we that, that was the problem. That's what he says. He says, In this matter you did not believe in, in Hashem your God right? in this unification of in of this unification of, of Hashem and God and that of, was your
0: problem of judgment and mercy of judgment and mercy
1: right and and that was your sin so so I know I'm somewhat correct I meaning I know that the sin of the Jewish people was the fact that they did not unify Hashem with Elohim okay what I'm suggesting is that the way to do that is through Birchas because it's Kishem Hashem of God Ekinu that's the process of Birchas HaSatorah is it brings those two things together so why did they lose the land? Because they failed to make birchas Now, what does the word tchila mean? Right, shloboch batora tchila at the beginning. What does it mean at the beginning? Right, we, 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 ask we that, asked that, it was that, redundant. It's yeah.
0: redundant because the blessing always precedes the, the always precedes Torah.
1: right. So the idea I'm trying to suggest is it's, it's referring to the beginning, like the, that very beginning phase of creation, where the the name of the names of mercy and the names of judgment actually do come together. That's how, we have to somehow be able to connect ourselves with that moment in order to properly articulate well, what Björn so Satoru even is. before
0: the racists. The, right, the,
1: the base. Just the base. That's just the base. That's the bruhl. That's the, bracha. Tila. That's, that's, the, the t- that's the beginning. Exactly. That's the beginning. So, the beginning of before the beginning. Yeah, right. The beginning of the beginning.
0: Okay. Well, there's some novel ideas here.
1: All right. So, one of the questions is, why did no one know the answer? Right? The, the sages didn't know the answer. The prophets didn't know the answer. So again, I want to suggest maybe because it like predates creation. Nobody can know the answer but God Himself. You know this. It, it, what you're trying to do when you well, say this? You well,
0: would, you would imagine that Moshe knew the answer, right? Because Moshe is giving them the rebuke. He's saying that there's a there's a point where you guys just cannot reach at, and therefore you did the sin. You did the sin. So we're yeah, and, we're going to get to Moshe in a minute okay, okay. because I
1: I, I think I, I think it's even cooler than that. <laughs> um all right, so...
0: But could we say, wait a minute, could we say that Joshua and Caleb somehow did know that? Oh, that's cool. Because they were not part of... Of that, of the sin. Of that cohort, right? So so they did bless the Torah, Tchila, right? They, 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 they didn't make the same mistake as the other 10 spies, and they were the ones who were allowed to inherit the land. So evidently you would have to say that there's some, there's something that the prophets didn't know, the sages didn't know, the whole nation didn't know, Moshe knew. And he was still not allowed to go into the land, which is a separate story. But Joshua and Caleb, they did know this. They, they were on the level of accepting whatever it takes to get into the land of Israel.
1: Right. And that would be something to work with. Um, I, and again, what uh, I will admit, this is all very abstract. I still don't understand what it means. Like, why didn't they? This is in
0: beta. We're yeah. beta testing. <laughs>
1: Um, okay, then this question is obviously answered. Um, the, the question we asked, how could you tell us that it's because they didn't make a blessing on the Torah? We know that the the destruction came out of, uh, as a result of the sin of the spies. Um, so that we're saying, right, it's one and the same. Meaning the sin of the spies was a failure to unify judgment with mercy. And failing to make Berchus Torah is the same thing. Had they properly articulated Berchus Torah, they could have rectified... Uh, what what these sins? What these spies failed in? We ask, what does it mean? right? This matter, this matter, right? Uh, uh, why was the land lost? This matter was asked to the sages. This it was asked to the prophets. And, well, that that term seemed a little bit superfluous, and I want to suggest that it's referencing exactly the same term in the verse. This matter, you do not believe in in uh, in Hashem, your God. So you see that term. Maybe the Gemara is using the very term that was used in the verse that that refers to this idea of unifying uh, Hashem with Elohim.
0: Very exquisite.
1: Um, should I just just conclude? Let's
0: go. Let's, okay. let's go. I'm, my head's still scrambled. <laughs> <laughs> so is
1: mine. Um, so, the, this idea of unifying Hashem with Elohim, I think, comes up this week's parsha. It's of right? So, you find something in the second verse, I think, of this week's parsha that only appears three other times in all of the Torah. And that is where the four-letter ineffable name is spelled out, right? There's a Yod, there's a hay there's a Vav, and there's a hay, But it's not read that way. It's not even read as we usually, well, we never read it that way. We we read it um usually Aleph tallir non Yud, right yes In the, but here we read it elokim right so it's written it's incredible right it's written Yud, then hey then above then hey but you read it as if it says the word elokim
0: very very unusual feature
1: very unusual feature
0: shows up 4 times Four times in the Torah, many times in the prophets. The, the, the letter is the letters are spelled Yotivoti, which we never pronounce. The the Kohen Gadol, Yom Kippur, High Priest Yom Kippur, pronounce it the way it's spelled. But if someone were to do that, it's a it's a it's a capital offense. We don't pronounce it. Uh, instead, we use a different name, the 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 shame Adnos, as it's called, right? Right. The the the, the, the name it starts with A D O uh, N O Y, however you spell it in English, right? Um, but there are four times in the Torah that the letters, the way it's spelled in the Torah scroll is yud k Vav-K, but we say Elokim.
1: Yes? Yes. okay. I think it's four times, and this prove me wrong. I want to suggest that when that shows up, that's the ultimate unification, because it's not even two words anymore, it's one word. It's one word,
0: it's not like you had two juxtaposed word, Hashem Elokim, but it's it's one word which is spelled one way and, and pronounced the other way, and thus they're completely
1: united. Now, if you take a look at all four references, you will see all four times it's a prayer to enter the land of Israel. This is what I, I mean. So let's go through it. So the first time it shows up is in precious Lech Lecha. And it's Abraham praying that he should inherit the land. And, and that's what he's saying. He says, Avram, Hashem says Avram says to God, uh, Hashem el, uh, uh, I don't even know how to say it, right? Elohim, right? But it's spelled Yod-Hei-Vav-Hei. ma what will you give me? vanochi holy heri I don't have any children. Meaning, I do not have, uh, I do not have children to pass on this inheritance of the land of Israel. Right? That's the whole conversation about, you know, will I have children for this to, to pass on or not? And then, uh, a few verses later, it says, Vayomer, uh, Aram says again, Hashem ki irashana. And again, it's yod hevav, and then a and it's pronounced Elohim, and he says, How do I know that I will inherit? Right? Again, it's, it's a request to know, How will I inherit? Do I know that I will inherit the land? Alright, so those are the first two times you'll find it, both in Parsha's Lecha. Then there's this week's Parsha, which, where Moshe Rabbeinu is praying to enter the land. Right, that, that's his, his epic, 515 times that he prayed. And it says, again, Hashem Elohim, spelled Yod-Hei-Vav, and then a hey. Uh, and, and that's where Moshe is praying to enter the land of Israel. And then, uh, later, where Moshe is describing how he was praying on behalf of the Jewish people after they sinned with the golden calf, again, it says, Vayomer Hashem Elohim, spelled Yod-Hei-Vav, and then a hey. And he's praying that, God should forgive the Jewish people, but it's in a very specific context. He says, two verses later, he says, if you don't forgive them, so then they will say that, uh, that you just brought them to die in, in the desert, right? And, and you didn't, you didn't fulfill your promise to bring them to, to the land. So again, it's, 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 it's not just saying forgive them, it's saying forgive them and take them into the land of Israel. So all four times, it's, it's in, in the context of a prayer, or at least a request, uh, for, for the land of Israel, either to be able to inherit the land of Israel, or to be able to enter the land of Israel. So my point is that you see that this ultimate unification, uh, of Yud and then the Hay, the vav and the Hay, the the then to, and the, which is the name of mercy, and then the name of judgment, Elohim, will come up in the context of Eretz Israel, which is exactly the idea that we're trying to present that you access by unifying Hashem with Elohim.
0: Uh, this is absolutely genius. Um, I, I love it. Um, but it all it does is raise a series of questions for me. Right. Okay. Well, what does that actually mean?
1: <laughs> what okay, does it yeah. mean to unify the name of God, so to speak? So here's what I think it means, and, and I should have said this earlier: the idea of birchas and and like you mentioned, the idea of yisurim. So we have an expression: kishem shemavarchim alatov, kach alharah. Just as you bless the good, you should bless the bad. I Meaning, bless God for for the bad. I mean, you tell me what does that mean? Why, why should I bless God for the bad things that happen to me? right uh, the idea must be that the bad things that happen to you are actually the good things that happen to you right it's all one and the same and you do that and and the way you accustom yourself to that reality is by blessing god you bless him for for the bad right you you bless him through that that which comes through Elohim it's judgment it's 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 consequential it's imposing right and you still bless god for those experiences um, and and that's how you unify Hashem with Elokim because you're demonstrating your recognition that the mercy and the judgment is really one and the same. And it's used the the expression that the rabbis use is mevarchim. It's a bracha, right? So birchas Torah is is as you say, it's that blessing on the stage before accessing the Torah, which is like the Gemara in, in brachas tells us that there's a an element of yesurim that you have to go through in order to access the Torah.
0: So when something bad happens to you, if I can understand it correctly,
1: something bad happens to you, and
0: you say, I want to bless God for this terrible thing that happened to me, that is an exercise in you unifying the two names of God, meaning you're saying that God's revealed goodness and mercy, the way it appears to us, and the revealed judgment, the way it appears to us, it's actually one of the same. And therefore, I'm going to bless God because it's the same. And I don't know how it's the same. It doesn't seem to me to be a good thing. But when I accept that and I yield to that, that in effect is me, so to speak, merging the name of God that connotes judgment and the name of God that connotes mercy. And I'm I'm testifying, it's the same thing. And when you have that recognition, that is the crucible that we mentioned earlier, that you need to get Torah to get the land of Israel.
1: Right. And that's really what the Jews failed to do, right? They were told, the spies said, look, there's all kinds of terrible things going on in the land. What should the Jews have done at that point? How can you even blame them? You have... Uh, you know, 10 out of 12 representatives, you know, from the finest, uh, citizens of, of Israel. And they're telling you that it's a terrible place. So why shouldn't they believe them?
0: So they should have believed them, as you're saying. They should have believed them and say, yes, and this is all part of the blessing of God.
1: Exactly. That's what, I think that's, that's exactly what the point here is. And that's what they didn't do. And that's what they didn't do. And, and that's being phrased as they didn't bless the Torah. Because that's what blessing the Torah is. They didn't
0: bless. That that moment in time where there was judgment, and then bless that by saying that that too is is wonderful and beautiful,
1: and because of that they lost the land. Because but you this, need this that also, quality. This
0: also gives us something to work with um for us. Uh, if this is why the land was destroyed, if this is the sin of the spies and that can manifest with the destruction of the temple, then if if we want to do our part to try to fix it, you would imagine the first thing we need to do is make sure we say our blessings. Say your blessings. You want to study Torah? Study Torah, yes. And make sure you say your blessings ahead of that, ahead of that. Say the blessings that you need to say before you study Torah. But also to accept and to yield and to bless God for the bad things that happened to you. That you are telling me is the secret of us rectifying and remedying, uh, the sin of the spies and doing what we can to rebuild the temple.
1: That's what I'm suggesting today. Unless you can prove, <laughs> prove me otherwise. <laughs> if you want to prove him otherwise,
0: send him an email. <laughs> uh, is that it? Anything else you want to add?
1: Uh, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm pretty much done here. Um, I did j- jot down my notes again, going back to the racist, There are other... Um, I mean, there are other midrashim and Gemars. that all were, the rishis is talking is referring to the mitzvah of challah, the mitzvah of Bikurah, and the mitzvah of truma. Um, these are all Mitzvahs that that only take place really uh, on a biblical level in the land of Israel.
0: Israel. Well, really, all all mitzvahs are really only supposed to be in the land of Israel, right? Well, I mean, and the mitzvot that we do outside the land of Israel, Rashi, the Ramban, tell us it's only there as a signpost, so we remember what to do when we get in the land of Israel. Meaning that the real fulfillment of the Torah is supposed to be in the land of Israel.
1: Oh, it's amazing. Right. Yeah, kind of makes you I have second what thoughts. What are we about, doing oh, here? Yeah, what are we doing here in Bell your uh, Innisfil, Ontario?
0: Okay, we're leaving. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <All right.
1: laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, Rabbi Botnick
0: for this, uh, it's absolutely exquisite and totally mind blowing idea. Very advanced. Uh, but it, it does give us a much deeper appreciation of the words of our sages and how precise they write it. And, uh, and how they are able to drill down to the essence of what went wrong here. And we have a little bit of a path forward for us uh, if we want to do our part in helping to fix and to rectify. We make the blessing before we study Torah, and we acknowledge uh, the uh, oneness really of God by saying that there is no difference between Hashem and Lukim, uh the two names of God. Uh, judgment and mercy are just two uh, or, or the they're, they're two attributes that appear to us to be different but really that are the same we give the blessing when bad things happen and thereby we fix what we can uh, of the sin of the spies and uh, we contribute hopefully towards the rebuilding of the land and the rebuilding of the temple may it happen speedily in our days um, they, Okay, right, send them so an email, much. not me my email is, is rabbitworldgmail.com but I don't know anything about this this is way too advanced <laughs> botnicksm at gmail.com alright, looking forward